and welcome to the third episode of the Into the North podcast. Um, I'm one of your hosts, Noobzors, joined by my co-hosts, Sick Robot. What's up, guys? Sweenface. Hi, everyone. Null back from Europe. Nice. And uh, yeah, so I was a bit hesitant on our third question, being, on Austria saying the third episode, because yeah, we had recorded an episode and it kind of got lost. We had some audio issues, so... Sorry about that. We Let's just say that three fourths the episode are intact. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so we're really sorry about having missed that episode. Where we're we're really trying to stay on schedule. But we do have an a uh, well, well. This episode will, will will be released on time, and we have a, a special extra Gitrog episode coming out uh, with me, Leptis, and Kibitzin. Uh, and Spleen will be on there as well to help uh, moderate and ask questions and whatnot. So. You can think of that as maybe a uh, makeup for for that episode. Uh, okay. Well, anyway, on on this episode, we're going to be doing a CEDH year in review, as well as we're going to try to answer as many of your listener questions as possible. Just a blitz round, answering them, chop, chop, chop. We'll see how much time we have after we get done our year in review. But yeah. Anyway, let's uh, let's jump into housekeeping. So. Not much to say beyond we've got our lost episode, and uh, we also just want to say thanks to uh, Hisp for the new podcast music. Um, it's been great how much uh, all of you guys have been supporting us by creating content and whatnot, and you know we really appreciate it. Uh, so, who wants to cover new developments? Yeah, sure, I'll do a couple. Um, just a few in the Hulk community recently. Um, well, recently, not so recently. Uh, recent as of last episode that doesn't exist anymore. Uh, <laughs> we have, first of all, Lightning Druid from President Fate. New iterations on that. Um, not so much Lightning Druid anymore, it's just, you know, like breakfast.deck. Uh, but it's sort of cool. It's um, basically just Flash Hulk taken to its logical conclusion, where you're basically just stripping all the interactive elements <laughs> completely out of the deck and just playing ways to get your library into your grave as fast as humanly possible and just sort of saying that you don't really get to play the game after turn three in like any way possible uh and then on the complete opposite side of that got a new sacred hulk deck which is pretty cool um sacred hulk is a new hulk build that uses a card called sacred guide uh which is a one mana white creature that has an activate ability that costs one and a white that uh lets you Activate it to exile cards from your library until you hit a white card. Um, so basically what you do is you don't play any other white cards, and you just exile your library to win off a lot of men, which is pretty cool. Um, it has applications through more interactive metas, stacks, and that kind of stuff. Still in testing, but looks promising. Nice. And uh, Null, you want to talk about some Null stuff? Yeah, I just wanted to highlight essentially the um, just recognizing the power of spell secret and Null and I see, um, we've seen a list essentially use Razaket and Spellseeker to assemble um, Ice Crown Scepter Wings, and there's definitely a lot of innovation there, but and it's def- definitely super flexible. So they're not, they're not doing Wanderwine stuff as much anymore in that, in, that, in that version? I think it's, yeah, it can be seen as definitely the weaker side of Anala. Okay, okay. Okay, so then let's just jump right into topic number one then, which is our year in review. So we've got a couple... Um, so uh, this is more a lighthearted episode, you know, it's around <laughs> holiday times. We're all 
we're we're all recording in person this time, which is oh, yeah. which is nice. Yeah. We're all a bit uh bit drunk, got a bit of uh got a bit of booze in us, so let's let's just kick it off with uh our our meme Jim names. Oh, our yeah. meme names for the year. There are a couple of favorites on here. Yeah, so <laughs> we've got I uh, we've got uh this twenty eighteen is the year of forbidden tutors in CDH. We saw a massive spike in popularity of uh Tainted Pact and Demonic Consultation, just in every deck, you know, and some decks where it probably doesn't belong. Oh, you just jam it everywhere, Yeah, man. who knows if it belongs to Gitrog, you know? There's, magic- there's only one way to find out. It's a magical solution to all of your tutor density problems. Yeah. <laughs> Why not play it? Man, it's exiles and pieces, whatever. Um, you just, just play more pieces. Easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, yeah, just second Titan. No biggie. <laughs> okay, uh, who wants to get the next one? We'll just go yeah. around the table. This year is definitely known as another year of Timno Winter and another year of Timno Winter and another year of Timno Winter. And, and it seems like everyone's running their Timno decks this year. You have Timno? To be fair, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna change change this a bit, add a add an end note onto this one. To just say that I think last year was probably the year of Thrasios more than Timno. Yeah, this is yeah. definitively, definitely <clears throat> the year of Timno. As opposed to Thrasios this year with Tim oh yeah people running I know Gidrog like we were, we were looking at things like uh, Wall of Roots <laughs> one of them it's a good card and we probably run it, it without Timna but it's a really nice upside that it just blocks Timnas I have a I have a prediction that I think the next year is probably going to be the year of X3s <laughs> you're like, maybe you're pyroplasms. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're massacres. That's a good one. Oh yeah, massacre. Oh, yeah. Massacre is definitely a card. <laughs> lots of lots of Tim has been has been especially warping the the deck choices that that people are seeing and and really having to answer it in that kind of value engine. People including cards in their decks that they weren't really doing that so much last year. Oh yeah. Year of ranked ladder slash year of sick robot. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that when did when did it, uh, that was uh, ASM who who yeah. programmed the bot. Big props to ASM. Uh, he pretty much did all of the Devorcon, Aspiria. Uh, pretty much kickstarted like the competitive community to play like way more games than we had been playing for a long time. So uh, I think Frozen has also worked a bit on. Asperia, but yeah, main main props to ASM on that big boon to the community. Yeah, lots of lots of act, lots of activity um, now. Just massive boost. Such such a great work. Thank you, ASM. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, explain. Uh, this could also be the year of content trademark. Uh, after <laughs> long enough without the Lab Maniacs releasing new content, it was pointed out that. Other people could actually <laughs> also make content. Wow, who'd have guessed? Uh, so we <laughs> got our else? start. Uh, other got groups like the Spike Feeders uh, have really been Ooh, taking yeah. off. Burling Pod, and then we'll we'll go into more of the actual content. Um, or you know what? Let's just yeah, let's just give sure. a quick shout out to, to lots of the comment content. Maybe not. We if we miss someone, sorry. Mm-hmm. We, we, there is some yeah, no, no, just <laughs> send send all your hate mail to the Monty yeah, and except on the main Discord. You yeah. know who you are. It's the year of content because there's a lot of. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> CDH, the C stands for content. It's content. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so many so, people just got their asses in the this Yeah, way. yeah. So we've got we've got spike feeders um, with some like high quality video content since it's been a while. Like Spoon said, since Lab Maniacs and uh, Team Turn Three uh, posted something, we've got uh, so we've got some in the, in that sort of hiatus or the, that that content drought. We had uh, Maynard Ferguson step up, and same with Ian Dodo with uh, recording um, pickup games. Uh, just posting those to YouTube. 
Um, we've had lots of great quality articles on uh, the subreddit. Uh, we've got the man model musings. We've got rough sketches. Uh, we got some of the farm article yeah. stuff going on there from leftists. There's a lot of people stepping up and writing through stuff. I know Maynard did a lot of stuff on um, stuff like applications of cleanup step um, stuff like that. Uh, Noob, you did the Anafenza loop stuff yeah. with Gitrog. Just a lot of people taking the initiative, writing up stuff. Yeah, and obviously we got podcasts, us of course, and the uh, the guys over at the Birthing Pod. Great work to them. over there. Yeah, uh, and then uh, outside of that, we we've also had uh, average with the uh, decklist database. Oh, huge, huge thing! Just having like a community curated decklist resource that's not really biased in any way, just sort of there for people to look at, and pretty comprehensive too. Just great stuff. And most importantly, the agricultural. So oh, yeah, <laughs> you, gotta, you, got, you gotta get your name. You gotta get your name on there somehow. Oh, yeah, <laughs> whatever it takes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Also, this year, tournaments. We've had a big uptick in tournaments since last year. Yeah. Um, big two main ones were organized and funded by I Sleep Too Late. Big props to him. Really, just single handedly setting it up and setting up the initiative to go do that. Uh, I think there are a couple people on the mock team that also helped with getting those set up, getting those run. Uh, I think they went about as smoothly as you can run a CDH tournament online yeah. purely. So, yeah. Big up, Sam. Yeah, nice. Um, okay, so that's... Uh, oh, and we've got one more year, which is the year of the Hulk. Damn right. Yeah. Uh, so Hulk wasn't obviously wasn't unbanned this year, but this is really the year where... We've seen all kinds of varieties of uh, Hulk decks. Yeah, when when Hulk got in band, it was a lot of just like <laughs> we like basically Siggy came up with Breakfast Hulk, and it was just, everyone just like, "Yep, that's it." That's well, that, that that's <laughs> the Hulk deck. But uh, yeah, we've seen a lot more development this year. Definitely, just huge strides forward in Hulk technology, Hulk variants, all that good stuff. Yeah, DNV shuffle sacred, like, oh, yeah. yeah, so much, so much like lightning grid, and also also in, Hulk and random decks, Hulk and random decks, but also anti Hulk, Hulk. Hulk, yeah, Splash and anti Hulk, anti Hulk decks have really sort of taken off. Well, anti Hulk, anti timid decks, especially um, stuff like Kess, uh, stuff like or a like bunch the, of the Anafenza, the Anafenza, the Anafenza brew is like only possible yeah. because Hulk and and Gitrog were yeah. quite popular, which I mean may or may not be a good thing, but I mean yeah, yeah I mean got, <laughs> got the community. Fired up. Yeah, okay. So um now let's let's talk about some of the uh the cards and, and decks that have popped up uh across the year. So these are these are uh, decks that are enabled or significantly improved by uh new cards. So either like if the commander was printed this year and, and made a significant impact or uh, a key piece that just shot shotgun the deck like right into the, the maybe not the forefront, but <laughs> into at least playability. Yeah, out of viability. I definitely want to kind of shove it to Najila. Oh my god, who could who thought there'd be a deck that wasn't Timna? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, it's great to see so like diversity come out of a set like Battle Bomb. And I'm not even sure yeah. like we knew oh at the time, really at the time when yeah. she was. I like I know a lot of people were like getting really hyped over her, but it seems sort of like she was going to be a bit like obviously five color has a floor, but it seemed like she was going to be a bit of a weird deck that like wouldn't really do that well, but like. 
I mean, she's so doubling your damage output every turn is actually good. And, and also just having a bunch yeah. of one card yeah, combo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Zach's resistant ones yeah. too. Oh yeah. Just, Honestly, yeah. at the same time, like if this is what we need, every single new legendary creature, like yeah. we're not going <laughs> to. <just, yeah. laughs> like, this is one once in a blue moon for sure. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, what's next? Uh, we've got Yuriko and Jehoira and Mondrotha as some of the new commanders that were. Uh, printed Aww. and they <laughs> they see play discussion. You ever been bruised? Yeah. Um. To be fair, Moldrotha did tournament. Yeah, Moldrotha. Moldrotha won money. We'll put it that way. Yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> Success. Uh, I mean, like they definitely they definitely have a spot. Um. I mean, Yuriko obviously not like a catch-all commander. You can't really play her to everything, but. Has her niche. Dwaras gets around all the stats. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Dwara has a niche as well, and it, like it's just less, it's, less it's hard so. to justify these these or it's, it's it's these commanders are just kind of pale in comparison when you look at like the, the Nijila. So oh, yeah. it's you know yeah. Maybe, maybe we're being a bit harsh on them, but yeah, yeah. You got you got the likes of Nijila, and then and for new cards that that enable decks. So Godo. First of all, was not a deck <laughs> until Helm of the Host. And then, you know what? It's It's been a bit of a flash in the pan. Um, some people still play it. I've heard it's had, you see on the subreddit sometimes, people talking about successive GPs. Um, so it's definitely a deck that people are playing. Um, you know, whether or not, it, it's not certainly seeing too much play on any of the uh, ranked uh, EDH servers right now. Um, but, you know, it's, it's certainly um, a viable deck you can play. It now exists. Yeah. Um, and then sick. If you want to talk about Varals, yeah. Uh, I mean, Varals has it's got cards now. Um, it got a few new cards. Yeah, so we talked I, about it in our got, first episode, right? It really. It to be honest, it got more than I ever expected that it would because the problem with the deck had always been that like you just don't have tutors and your win con density is like way too low to actually warrant playing the decks. And I never thought that we would get. A two mana instant speed tutor that's effectively <laughs> a demonic tutor for the deck. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, Final Party is pretty okay too. You just staple it in tomb to a diabolic tutor and, you know, does things. Yeah, it, it just got a bunch of, like, so not, not, it got a lot of incidentally small pieces. Yeah, it was a lot of like Crawl Harpooner. Uh, uh, what's the, the new the, Bob? Yeah, the new, the Warrior Bob. Mindblade Render. Yeah, yeah. Mindblade Render. Just like like small little pieces that made minor steps towards making the deck not just <laughs> dead in the water half the time when you don't have a combo piece. Yeah, um, and then our final deck on this list is uh, is Sissing. Yeah, um, and so obviously the printing of Mox Amber just gave that deck the ability to win from basically a standing start. All you need is Sissing Paradox Engine in play now, and then because. You can find the amber, and then the amber turns on your opal. Uh, it just makes getting up there in mana so much easier. All of your theoretical loops, you have access to one more mana of either of your colors. Um, and so it just means that that deck doesn't have to do weird things like draw with Reki or save a land drop for Inventor's Fair or stuff like that. And that was always, you know, difficult to work around. Now it's just Sissay Paradox Engine Go. And let's not forget about Urza's Ruinous Blast, because that was a pretty true, huge boom to the deck. Yeah. Just 
being able to just having the ability to tutor a board wipe and just being like <laughs> it, like it's it's effectively like a tutorable sea rift in that deck where yeah. it's just like yeah my commander just gets me a sea rift whenever I need it and just wipes the board so I can win actually the, so powerful and man. the fact that like yeah you get to keep Sisse through it too is just hilariously good I think yeah even in a lesser sense like the change to the legendary rule means that Sisse can has just a higher probability of getting better at each new set yeah oh yeah like she yeah. she definitely. Sissé is one of those commanders that you're never really going to get worse because there are always going to be legendaries being printed, and yeah. it just gives you access to stuff every set. Um, one thing I'd, I'd like to add to our... our uh, we, we left this, this section, but I actually kind of want to add our, another meme name for the year is, that, is the year of uh, Wincomless uh, Win decks, where <laughs> a lot of decks have been transitioning away from standard uh, Wincons of... You know, looping, for instance, in Gitrog, you know, you'd loop the Praetor's Grasp to exile everyone's library. And we've seen a, a transition towards looping uh, your Titan with Ulamog. So cutting back and, and increasing your slot efficiency. The same thing we saw with Sisse, where um, Sisse is now uh, destroying people's lands with Kamal Elishnorn uh, combos and, and closing the game out that way. Um, and I know I think uh, there's some other decks that have been uh, switching to loops of uh, just looping things like uh, Swan Song. Or, or just more compact win cons in general. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's a sign of health on that, though, for sure. Yeah, you know, it's also like, some refinement too, right? Like it's people yeah. realizing that like you don't necessarily need to hard win the game if you can just you know, like nuke everybody's permanents, discard their hands, and then eventually beat them to death. Recognizing yeah. the viability of secondary strategy. Yeah, <laughs> just wait a second. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah, just like realizing that you don't necessarily have to hard win the game if it saves you slots because it just makes the deck better, right? Yeah. Um, okay, so let's jump into some of the new brews uh, this year. So you know these are these are decks that have theoretically been possible in the format for a long time because of just the cards have always existed. They didn't really get anything new, but you know this year was uh, was when they uh, popped up. So what do we got? Uh, well, pretty much the whole Hulk explosion. So yeah. any Hulk yeah. variant you can think of, except for uh, well, sort of Lightning Druid, mostly Breakfast was thought up this year, uh, tested, brewed, all that good stuff. Um, a lot of the farm decks, uh, they existed, but not really to the extent they do yeah, now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just a lot of people hopped on that train after I think Leptis's Reddit post was a big yeah. kick from that. Um, also, some control brews. I mean, we've seen a lot of uh, one two-color control before, you know, Brawl Winter. yeah. Uh, Rash me, big things. Ugh. Don't want to remember that. All those <laughs> things. Uh, but yeah, we've been seeing a lot more uh, three, four card gold decks now because people have realized that, you know, Thrasios is a pretty good card. And uh, if you can actually win the game with your control deck, that's usually a good thing. So, you know, stuff like a Divergent Control, four color Rash me, self plug. Yeah. And, um, and also um, because of the prevalence of stacks to hate on things like Hulk, um, the uh, consultation. Uh, library lists like Kess and Zer have also uh, sort of become, they've been seeing a lot of play this year. Yeah. Um, and then finally, talking about these these sort of uh, decks that are like are newer or improvements to decks, um, are just decks decks that have got refined a bit. Um, that, that aren't necessarily new brews, they didn't really get too many new cards, but they've just seen a lot of improvement. Um, so we know Shaper did a lot of work on Animar. Which was a deck that a lot of us have writ had written off, um, honestly, in, in the format. It's just not really competitively viable anymore. Um, and Shaper kind of showed us showed us the way. 
Um, and then also in that list, I would say Gitrog. Um, this is the year I did a lot of uh, additions to Gitrog from the standard list that Leptis has been running. Um, and you, as you guys will hear, we'll get into some of that on our uh, special episode. Yeah. Super special. Big old, <laughs> big old content. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we saw we saw lots of and there's still there's still experimentation going on with Gitrog. Um it's really interesting. Still experimentation going on with a lot of decks, actually. I think yeah. there's there's been a lot more development this year than there was uh, last year for the most part. I think a lot of the development last year came from uh unbanning slash format shakeups yeah. and all that good stuff. Um new printing sometimes. Um but a lot of it has been really community driven this year. Yeah. Um so I think following decks that got, you know, um, that kind of increased in popularity. Let's go with decks that you know lost a bit of popularity. And uh, just as a note, we aren't really mentioning decks that were dead last year. We're just mentioning decks that were definitely played. So let's start things off with Savala. Yeah, Savala. <laughs> it's sort of a bit brutal, but Savala has definitely lost steam, especially since uh, Ranked has come around. I think Ranked has really encouraged a lot of people to bring their top game, and it's really sort of showed a bit that Savala has aged. A tad bit. Um, sort of just like, yeah, having having a storm deck that requires you to stick a creature and have it live for a turn has sort of proven to be not the best of strategies. Definitely still viable, but... Was was PST this year? The primer was, yeah. PST, thing, PST yeah. in its earlier form existed. Yeah, so Doom, Doomtide has existed for a while, but uh, really PS, PST proper yeah. was really refined. I think year. I think that's also sort of with the rise of PST is where we saw the fall of Tassiger, where it's just just worse PST and and people are kind of just stopping stopping playing that deck. I'm just not seeing it very much anymore. Yeah, it's really just having access. Blocks too. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, but yeah, but Thrasio is also blocks too. That's true. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really just like having having access to a fourth color plus having uh, a well, yeah. Having yeah. a colorless element, plus also having a source of card advantage that requires like a single initial investment and then just repeated returns on that without having to invest more mana. Yeah, Tasker's ability is just not it's just not nearly as good as uh, as, as Thrasios's or Thrasios combined yeah. with Tim. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> hard hard to beat. <laughs> um, we're also not seeing as much, or at least from from my experience, I haven't seen that much Tazri anymore. Yeah, I think it's I I think that one in particular is less about power level per se. I like Tazri hasn't exactly lost ground or gained a particular amount of ground aside from Squee. Yeah. Um it's more I think people are moving on to newer decks and or they already had Tazri and want to just play something else that isn't Tazri. Um we, we haven't really seen... I think a big part is also we haven't really seen the big Tazri players come and play rank for a substantial amount of time. Okay. And it hasn't really given much, I don't know, much exposure, much encouragement to anybody else looking to pick the deck up. That makes sense. Well, in comparison to like these new brews, I don't think Tazri really provides any particular advantage over them, right? It's kind of just old tech. Uh yeah, like it, it's, it's, it's kind of used to be, used to be like one of the fastest decks, right? Yeah, and yeah. definitely with the unbanning of Flash Hulk, it's it, it, like it hasn't made the deck worse, and it's not like a bad deck. But Flash has sort of taken the niche of the interactive fast combo deck, yeah, for the most part. Um, and I think Tazri now is more; she's definitely been balanced out by a lot of the newer decks 
who sort of match her level very evenly. Mm-hmm. And she's, it's now more of a meta call of, well, I guess I want to play Tazri into metas that are more favorable to her rather than just yeah. play Tazri into anything. And the deck is also much easier to disrupt with interaction with these encounter spells compared to like flash off decks. Yeah. Yes. Sometimes if you let flash resolve, you just lose. Yeah. Um, and then finally, I guess decks that we're just not seeing much anymore is hard control. Um, I, I can't speak to too much of what the hard meta, the meta was on, on hard control last year. Um, cause I personally wasn't seeing too much of it, but, um, I'm certainly not seeing at all any, like, compared to, to last year, I'm not seeing any Jace, Baral, Rashmi, uh, Grand Arbiter. They're all, they're all yeah. sort of evolved or been amalgamated into the more, um, decks like PST, which are able to kind of pivot between the control and, and fast combo strategies. And the Tainted Consultation list. Yeah, true, yeah. true. Yeah, philosophical. Tainted is sort of, yeah, filled that niche a bit more as, like, the controlly sort of slower decks that can actually still win the game instead of just being stuck with, you know, bad draw spells and bad cantrips to try to find your three-card combo in two colors. And these hard control strategies certainly rely on, like, the card advantage you know, yeah. concept, and they you can't beat to nudge in terms of just raw card advantage. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it has other issues. It does beat Tim Nudge. Yeah, so then just to wrap this up, uh, let's just mention the cards that you know made a splash in the format this year, that, that the, the cards that just got printed. Um, yeah, that are mainly stuff impact. that's sort of defined... New yeah. decks or really given a boost to not not like the hot tech like uh, <laughs> yeah. torch courier mausoleum secrets just just the cards that have made you know what somewhat somewhat market impact on on the meta or, or specific decks. Um, uh, Noel, do you want to just rattle them off? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, yeah. We'll just start with Spellseeker. Already mentioned great card. Tutors almost <laughs> like almost all the great Everything. cards we mentioned. In the yeah. Video. <laughs> All the above, we'll call it that. As, um, and Spellseeker, just to note, sorry, really tied together the Flashcats deck, mm-hmm. where you didn't really have a good way to pivot between lines before, and Spellseeker <laughs> sort of just like helps that, where you can Flash Hulk and pivot immediately into. Just off off the top, what are what are the what all decks is Spellseeker seeing play? In? Seeing play in some Hulk builds, uh, yeah. um Teferi? Uh, yeah, Teferi, Sony, Teferi. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a lot of low-color blue decks are playing it just as the extra tutor effect yeah. because you just want it a lot of the time. Um, I, some Grixis, so like Anala, mm. yeah. uh, obviously. And then, uh, yeah, like, and it's even seen playing some Hulk decks that aren't even on Reanimate. Okay. Just as sort of a better Merchant Scroll, sort of, where mm. it costs one more mana, but you can just get anything yeah. with it as opposed to just a very limited set of cards. Makes yeah, sense. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Trades with Timma, baby. <laughs> one one. It's one one? Yeah. It's two two. Yeah. The, 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 the Trinket Mage is a two two. Oh, yeah. Time uh, to play Trinket Mage, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so then we already we already mentioned Najila. Obviously, that yeah. just, you know, burst onto the scene. Uh, Mox Amber, we mentioned in Sisse. Um, the Host, we mentioned in Goto. Um, Assassin's Trophy is just a good card in any deck that can run it. Almost oh, every yeah. deck yeah. sees play that can run it's it. It's hard to not justify it. Yeah. It's also given... Assassin's Trophy is sort of cool, too, and then I've noticed that it's sort of encouraged a lot of people to run basics instead now. Mm, yeah. And it's also sort of, sort of funny, has sort of contributed to Breakfast seeing a bit less play, just because in 
for in metas with a lot of assassin's trophy or people tutoring assassin's trophy you just get less off of it from breakfast than anything else also it contributes to the advent of the win conless decks that we were talking about earlier because if you have a way to cast assassin's trophy a lot uh that that's more or less clear all permanents Yeah, yeah very good um so everything. <laughs> <laughs> everything. Crazy. Uh yeah, so we also saw Squee um for Tazri. Uh this one is we, we've got two on this list that are that are a bit kind of niche. So Tendershoot Dryad is not something that's making a huge impact, but what it really does is it's a compact wind condition that we hadn't really seen before as a as an alternative for stack stacks. Um, it really gives reach to decks like, you know, Anafenza, Blood Pod, where if they're locked out of combo, you have a one card, fairly cheap, um, fairly cheap card that's just going to close out the game through just sheer beats, which, you know, is, is kind of strange in CDH. For nine and then 21 without ever putting itself at risk, just the Sapphire. Yes. And also yeah. just the, the incidental synergy with Tana is oh, pretty yeah, hilarious yeah, yeah. too. Just <laughs> having having another card that can sort of fill the mid-range slot just very efficiently, just you basically just guarantee that you never lose combat within yeah. the deck. Because you just always have access to this card that's insanely good at winning yeah. combat. Honestly them just seeing the parallels now between Tempestry Dryad and Magila, that's <laughs> yeah. Um and then the other one that the sort of classify with uh Tenshu Dryad is bonus round, where it's not super like it wasn't super impactful, but it definitely made it, it changed up the decks that it was in quite a bit. So well, explain if you want to talk about Somebody it. I think it might have actually I think it was Wedge, but I could be wrong, so I'm heavily qualifying that. Actually wound up taking uh Dramatic Scepter out of his storm deck. Uh, in favor of leaning into bonus round lines. And bonus round uh, is another card that can enable the sort of win conditionless deck where you put in some, you can combo with, you know, your high tide and then like snap and unsubstantiate lets you theoretically go infinite if you cast enough bonus rounds. Um, and so that's another way of winning that doesn't have slots whose clear purpose is just to win beyond bonus round. Yeah. yeah. Probably just a really good storm card too, in general. Yes. Oh yeah. Casting um, dark tissue twice is really good. Gonna win the game. <laughs> and then we've got one more category of cards actually here, which was cycle. I guess. Yeah, yeah, cycle. Pretty, pretty massive, I think, for the format in general, and that's the battle bond lands. It's sort of quietly massive too. Yeah. Like, it's not like a huge impact, but like a market increase. It's a mutual in... boost in most decks, so I think everyone was yeah. accepted. Yeah, and, and I'm not sure how many of us were actually expecting to get this cycle or something like it. Like, yeah. just no. seeing like a basically no, a, a set of unconditional duels. I heard, I heard Mark Rosewater was actually wanting to have them typed initially, and I'm like, oh, that would have been so good. Yeah. Could you imagine? So could you imagine? Can you also imagine how expensive those would be? Though? Oh let's let's be honest. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's especially when we mentioned, you know, the year Forbidden Tutors, like the Battle Bond lands just help enable that further for decks that aren't, you know, four color where they already have all the, their options available to them. You know, there's a set of 10 fetches and all their duels. But, you know, things like um, Tainted Shimmerzer, where you're not sure exactly how you're supposed to fill out your land slots. Those, the Battle Bond lands really help fill those out. Um, Enemy cycle when? Yeah. <laughs> they, 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 they confirmed it, <laughs> I think. Yeah. 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 Like, it's happening <laughs> and they just 
they like they hate us in slow robos. I think Blitz Frog needs it too. Oh yeah, for sure, oh, for yeah. sure. Definitely, definitely looking at uh, the last land right now is at a Woodland Cemetery or Urborg, and yeah, yeah I'm not super happy. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so I think that wraps up our year in review. Um, unless anyone has anything else, no, yeah. I think we're going to move on. Okay, so now it's time for the uh, blitz round of questions. Listen to questions. Um, okay, let's just start with. Uh, just with sick, down. and then we're each we're each going to read a uh, question in uh, clockwise fashion, yep. and uh, we're all just going to chime in and, and answer right, them quickly. Yeah. Let's round. Uh, from BM Bowdish, uh, how did you all get into magic? EDH, CDH? Uh, well, I know I can start. Um, I got into magic about four years ago, actually, after quitting Yu Gi Oh for a while. Oh, we both got to start Yu Gi Oh. Wow, nice. was that game not great. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I played I played pretty much exclusively uh, limited formats for a while. Played draft like two years at uh, the LGS. Sort of gone to EDH through being in that community, and then after a while, I was just like, yeah, I, I would rather play higher power decks than this. Uh, gone to CDH. That was about two ish years ago now. Uh, I got into Magic because one of my friends who shared my first period spare in grade eleven played Magic. And so I borrowed decks from him and played with him and then bought my own decks. Uh, and then I started playing EDH uh, when Commander 13 was spoiled and those cards looked really cool. Uh, I bought Aloro as my first Commander deck and then um, went from there. Uh, and then for CEDH, we, uh, a store near us had a $5 entry fee FNM event and promo was Fatal Push, and that card was like $20. So I decided to win rather than lose. <laughs> uh, built Kess, and the rest is history. All, all three, uh, Spleen, Null, and I kind of got into CDH around the same time, if I'm... If that's, yeah, that's, that's correct. Not, yeah, yeah, definitely correct. Yeah. Um, um, I, there was a bit of an arms race for everyone <laughs> slowly accelerating. You know, I think yeah. Spleen had... is. I remember uh, Spleen was on... Um, Daxos. Daxos, <laughs> yeah. Daxos. I was on Mirren, and then like Slowly, like you know, increasing the power level, and then yeah, oh, I definitely had Teferi on yeah. for a while. Yeah, <laughs> was still on the good night. Yeah. 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 This meeting's ending. Just <laughs> shout out to the person who will remain unnamed with the Salvala Explorer Return deck that was very much the benchmark to beat in our playgroup. Yeah, and yeah, I got my start in Magic around Return Return to Ravnica, and it's kind of a similar story. Like in high school, I was like, wait a second. I used to play Magic as a kid. Why the hell would I stop playing? <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Um, for me, I was I've always been a uh, I played Yu Gi Oh from like when I was very young all the way up until like I was jamming it online. Like I was, definitely took a hiatus, but then there was a I think of like dueling network or whatever, and yeah, I had jam on that. Yeah. Um, and then in I also played Hearthstone uh, in high school when that came out since since launch. So I was definitely definitely really into the the card games, and then. Uh, in university first year, I was subject to a propaganda campaign, campaign launched by. Yeah, I was going to say, we were only truthful. He made some cool friends and they got him into magic. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. So we, there, we started with a, a draft of uh, conspiracy, conspiracy yeah. built a sweet defenders deck, and I was hooked from that point on. <laughs> <laughs> and that was not his first defenders deck. Yeah. That was, yeah. That was last. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> many iterations on that. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. And then EDH started with Marin. Transitioned my first really competitive deck outside of, unless you consider like competitive Marin, um, was six Rolls deck actually. Uh, and then transitioned okay. to Get Rog and from there, you know, I built most of the decks. Yeah. Okay, cool. Next question. Uh, there's a lot said about dead cards and slot efficiency in the current age of CDH, uh, with tax and stacks like tech decks being invoked. Do you think this is going to change anytime soon? Uh, what do you think it would take for Balls to Walls Combo to resurface as a viable archetype? Uh, and that was asked by Scotty G. Okay, well, I think we're already seeing this. We're already seeing Balls to the Wall Combo resurface as a viable archetype. Yeah, a lot of it is from, I think, uh, comes from. Well, we saw this from Sug on the ranked uh, on the main Discord, where he maintained an absurdly high win rate with uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, yeah, that's the one, Narset. Uh, just because, yeah, like honestly, a lot of the time, Balls to the Wall Combo really works when people just aren't playing interaction. Um, so it, it only really takes a small tip to get to that point because a lot of people will get into an arms race of like, oh, I want to play this sort of like non-interactive deck, but with like a cage or something to stop the hog player. Yeah. And the hog player swaps off to something and it's like, okay, well, I don't want to play like fast combo anymore. So I'm going to do all this other stuff. And then everybody slows down to just enough where somebody comes in with Narset and just like, yeah, yeah okay, I'm just going to kill you on turn three <laughs> and not really going to do anything about it. Um, yeah, okay, cool. Um, so let's move on to this question by uh, Pokeanda Jones. Uh, I have a question that might just be terrible, but how would you feel about the addition of sideboarding to be able to change around X cards from a predetermined list after announcing your commanders? Does this weaken or strengthen certain archetypes too much? It seems like it would allow more decks to allocate slots, slots against Hulk decks and delay line and legacy. And honestly, I agree a lot that sideboards would be super cool. Really, yeah. I think I think it could I think it could mess up the format too much. I think you, you're going to start to see. I think it could it could overly homogenize the format even more than we are now. We are going to see decks like um, uh, Najila, where you or or, or Gitrog be just too because they're so resilient to so many different types of stacks. Um, you're you're going to see them become much more popular, whereas yeah. people are going to be like sliding in their uh, their Hulkate and and they get they don't get punished for it um, if there's not a Hulk in the pot. I don't think I don't necessarily think Gitrog would be popular sure, yeah. because it's it yeah. is easy to hate. There's only a few pieces that do it, but they do it really effectively. Fair, but fair yeah, enough. like I don't understand why you wouldn't play either Magila or Thrasios Timna, and then you can slot into the win condition you think is most likely like to Narsa work. too. You can, um, just put in you can slot into the win condition you think is most likely to work. You know, five cards there, and then five cards is your. Uh, your hate package, yeah, uh, that specifically targets the commanders that you see. So I think it would things contribute like even more to the decks mentioned in the question above. Sort of a few stacks effects, a few hate pieces, some disruption, and then combo decks. And I think uh, another sort of weird impact this would have that I don't think you sort of get on the surface is that it actually would contribute a lot to modernization because. Commander ambiguity becomes a big tool. Yeah. So if you're if you're running something like Thrasios Timna, it becomes a lot harder to preside against you just because mm. people don't necessarily know what you're playing. True. So even if you're a generally Hulk person and you like playing Hulk decks, if you're playing into some group like that, you can just be like, okay, I'm just gonna play. I'm just gonna bring PST. They bring in all their Hulk hate, and you're like, yeah, I'm just on PST. I don't care about anything that you brought in. So stuff. I think 
you end up with problems like that where a lot of people just end up shifting to something like Najila, which can slot a bunch of different win cons or Thras Timno, which can I think I think Zer would also be actually very popular in that sort of format where you're seeing um you're just able to put in uh, a control package or swap out swap out whatever sax pieces you want because Zer just has them so accessible, right? If if the paw doesn't call for it. Uh, then you can go to your your balls to the wall shimmer combo, and then or or if it's a slower pod and you need to put in the stacks pieces, you can, and you're just not going to get punished for it. Um, although as for, as for sideboards, so I, I don't think it'd necessarily be too great, um, but you know, and, and there there is technically a accommodation for sideboards as it exists, where Sheldon has said that you just ask the play group beforehand. But these aren't really sideboards; these are wishboards, yeah. so that you can play cards like. Uh, uh, sponsor of Umog, like I have. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, honestly, though, like in terms, I think you guys are overestimating the impact of sideboards, especially uh, like a three to five card sideboard. I, I, I think actually sideboards would allow a lot of kind of under tool decks to really, um, like have a fighting just, chance. Yeah, have a fighting chance yeah. and like just the like yeah. the really t- like oppressive pods. It would, it would definitely yeah. give stacks a larger set of tools just because it lets you slot into yeah. very specific yeah. hate. That, that's also one of the Less big the things. For sure. Yeah, one of the big things with stacks, you know, just the classical stacks problem of wrong answers at the wrong times. So LSU sort of sort of helps you to rectify that a bit. I think was, if that was a thing, people might actually play Yixlid Jailer in the sideboard. Oh just come in and come in against Hulk and Gitrog. Oh yeah. Feels good. <laughs> I think, think it'd be sort of cool, though. Uh, I mean, obviously, we'll, like we don't know the whole impacts because we haven't playtested or anything. But also, um, oh, I don't think yeah. this would ever happen because Shelton has explicitly stated how much he hates sideboards because oh, they yeah. remind him of like competitive events and stuff. And he's like, oh, I don't want that at all. So, yeah, <laughs> competitive. <laughs> you get sideboard slots equal to five minus the number of colors your deck is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like that. I like that. Oh <laughs> <laughs> <That's different>, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Um, okay, next question. What do you feel about letting playgroups decide the ban list 100%? No rules committee, just turn commander into a true casual format. Let the spikes do their thing and the casuals do their own thing. And that's from Euro One. You just asked a group of competitive players <laughs> if they want to turn casual into, or commander into a true casual format. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I feel like, I feel like that's sort of what it is anyway at the casual level right now there, right? Like, that's, that's sort of yeah. what the house bands, yeah. no like, Armageddons, like, show yeah. of hands and like, Encountered someone running a card on the ban list. <laughs> yeah, uh, I like yeah. That, like the rules committee has stated before. Like the ban list is a suggestion. Like you don't have to follow it at a group level, right? Um, just like from a competitive standpoint, though, like there's there's it's it's really dangerous to house rule stuff because yeah. you start the whole the whole reason one of the huge reasons of playing competitively is that you can bring the same deck to any competitive play group. And you get a consistent experience. You know that everybody's bringing their A game. There's no mismatch of power levels by accident if everybody is competitive. So as soon as you start changing rules, like house ruling stuff, you lose a lot of that consistency. You lose sort of what makes the format competitive. Also, rule number one of Magic, never split the format. Yeah, yeah. How many how many different CDA or like one v one like one v one like French and, yeah, and French tiny layers and tiny layers MTGL online just MTGL yeah, online just, which just, oh built gosh. French and then died just, <laughs> just like a murder suicide <laughs> if you if you want an example <laughs> of, of what happens <laughs> with home ruling yeah just take a look at the one v one 
like just selection of formats and you can sort of see what ends they're, up they're kind of like vagabonds man they come over to the competitive <laughs> subreddit <laughs> like trying to look for a home they don't they're, they're without a home right now yeah um okay next question next yeah uh from timmy t 1000 my boy uh how do you guys feel about proxies and various types like printing them off versus alters versus the blue and black core chinese ones um i so i think at a base level being competitive players, proxies a okay, one hundred percent. Go for absolutely. It. Yeah. Proxy your stuff out. Do not do not feel constrained by a budget if you want to play it fully competitive because there's no reason to handicap yourself for and like any reason. Like, well, also, if I'm a competitive player, I don't want to play. I want to be yeah. playing against other people who are playing the most competitive decks. Yeah, right? maybe and I think the best way at all. We gotta find some people. If, like even though like you might be a like again like it can actually playing at a budget. Uh, playing for a budget if everybody else is in support of proxies can actually cheapen the experience for other people just because they other competitive players will want to play against you at your full power and they don't want to they don't really want to play against something that um, is intentionally kneecapped I mean obviously there are reasons to play at budget but if you have if you have the the ability the access to go full proxy I fully Fully support there's that. there's yeah. a there's a really underplayed um, format of ultra budget competitive fifty dollar less twenty dollars yeah hackball let's go yeah you basically got you got hackball uh, <laughs> Unesh Yisan Godo like yeah there's not too many decks you can play though yeah more people should play that <laughs> shut um, up <laughs> the one thing I will say about proxies though is that. Uh, I don't think you should approach the idea of magic in with the intent of not ever spending any money. That's like, true. Good point. It takes yeah. people buying cards to keep the game rolling. You know, you can say, oh, well, I'm just buying on the secondary market. That doesn't, you know, promote... That doesn't make wizards print new cards. But, okay, if you're buying from a store, yes, it does. It also contributes to having play areas. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of people you're going to buy cards from, maybe they're selling your older cards because it's like, hey, I don't really play with these. Uh, and I want to buy a box and draft or something like that. So, like, yes, proxy and, you know, play the best deck you can build. And I don't think you should have to have $5,000 sitting around to play a good deck. Um, but if your intention is, I'm just going to play for free, uh, the game can't survive if everyone does that. So, yeah. Yeah. I, th- I, think, I think also, like, in, in terms of, like, Chinese proxies and stuff, I think there's kind of an issue where you don't want to buy proxies that are First of all, if you're spending money on proxies, that's kind of you're, you're already getting yeah, into some a, dubious territory. It's why why yeah. you don't spend that money. But then, then the also contributing to the improving of these proxies is, I think, overall detrimental to the format, or not the format. Sorry, just overall detrimental to Magic in general. Yeah. It's kind of the reverse point Morgan made, right? You don't want to be um, like creating these large Chinese companies that have these huge proxy printing facilities. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, a friend of ours got. You got a playing card company to print proxies, and they're more obviously not magic cards. And I thought that that was actually good um, because it's not a company that's trying to refine and make their cards look as real as possible, and therefore potentially get into the business of counterfeiting and selling counterfeited cards as real cards. Um, but so, so I would say, don't contribute to people who you think that's a risk. Yeah, yeah. it basically boils down to. Feel free to proxy. We all want to play against and with the best decks possible, but make sure you have the intention to support the game. Yeah. Uh, make sure, make sure the magic doesn't die because we're all 
<laughs> Roll it together. I'm in too deep. I'm in too deep, man. I need to succeed. Our old prices go up. Go, yeah, just go. Make sure Magic doesn't die until sell I sell yeah. it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just waiting to pump it up, man. <laughs> uh, okay, next question. Uh, from Scotty G again. Uh, when is it better to jam passive interaction like Curse Totem or Nullrod? Uh, versus putting in more pieces of active disruption like counter spells or removal. I think it's kind of like a philosophy thing. I, I personally am a huge fan of jamming any piece of the, the big stacks pieces. So that's your Aven Mind Sensor, Curse Totem, uh, Graph Digger's Cage, Rest in Peace, Null Rod, Null Rod Rule, of Rule of Law, exactly. Yeah, any of those are not dissect your following strategy. Exactly. Um, that's that's kind of my de facto deck building strategy, and so the only reason I would not run one of those is if the meta is kind of shifting away from those. So if I'm not seeing Hulk, which you know how, by what miracle am I not seeing Hulk? I'm not going to run Grafticker <laughs> Stage <laughs> unless I'm also seeing like unless it's all of a sudden everyone's off Hulk and they're on Gisan and like Castle yes. or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, Curse Totem is probably always going to be great. Same with Rest in Peace. Blah blah blah. For me, it's a lot of. Um... Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of the same points. Um, I think I differ a bit, though, where I think that's specifically for mid-range uh, combo, Fair. where you're playing the interaction anyway, and I have interaction slots to spend on that stuff, yeah. um, as opposed to like all-in combo, uh, where you don't really have those slots to spend in the first place, and it's not really beneficial to your game plan to stick stacks pieces. If you're the fastest deck at the, at the table, yeah. like you're just hindering yourself. Though. Yeah, um, but yeah, for a lot of mid-range uh, decks, like any Hulk deck that has a decent amount of interaction, uh, anything that's looking to, like, you you want to have at least some game past turn four, turn three, um, then, yeah, you do that. A lot of the time, it's, yeah, you sort of have to analyze it on the axis of, is this card, is this passive stacks piece going to be better than the next piece of active interaction, yeah. right? The other, the other thing to sort of consider is, particularly if you play in a more stable group, so you play against people a lot, uh, if your count of active interaction pieces drops too low, um, then it becomes really hard to bluff, or even the sort of passive bluff where they just assume you have something. Uh, if you're running, say, four instants, or, you know, four instants that answer things, they'll go, yeah, he's got three cards in hand, probably doesn't have it. Whereas if you're running 10 instants and you have three cards in hand, they'll go, okay, might have something, you know, maybe I won't try, I'll try and find another piece of backup or whatever. So you don't want to, you don't want people to have the perception that you don't have answers. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think when these decks come along, we'll try to speed it up. But yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so this is from a turn up. Yeah. Uh, what do you guys feel are some unwritten rules of CDH? For example, is it okay to concede? When is it okay to strip my player's only blue source? It's always okay to strip a player's only blue source. <laughs> <laughs> blue is the most degenerate color. Yeah. <laughs> you want them to throw themselves to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, think, I think this one really boils down to um, just make sure you're always playing 100% to win. Yep. Um, yeah. you, you should always be making plays that increase your chance to win the game or decrease other people's chance. Yeah, the, sometimes the rest of the table. Sometimes this can mean also playing to not. So playing yeah. playing to win and playing to not lose aren't always the same thing. So sometimes you can take calculated risks, but you know there is there is some debate there. Yeah, <laughs> it's 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 good form to uh, just when, whenever anybody sits down at a CDH table, you just always yeah. assume everybody wants to win the game one hundred percent. 
So if you're actively decreasing your chance to win the game in order to spite another player or anything like that, or say you're just pointing, you're you're pointing a pact at something for no reason other than to spite someone. There's yeah, no so reason if, to do if that. you're out of the game, people generally try to bow out with grace. That's yeah, that's that just make as little impact as possible. And now, obviously, I, I've had a game recently where uh, <laughs> I I kind of essentially king mates fleen by accident. <laughs> I was trying to win. Um, but I didn't. I didn't see that uh, one of my options, uh, one of one of my of my uh, lines actually wouldn't work. And so after I had already done it, uh, it was too late. So Spleen was able to win that game. And and you know generally people are fine with that. If you're genuinely trying to 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 uh, win the game, uh, due to your best of ability, people are generally forgiving about that. Yeah, but if you have legitimately lost the game and you decide that you don't want to play anymore. You should make decisions that have a minimal impact on the other player. So, for example, if somebody's winning through beatdown, generally I would say don't concede because then you're changing the clock for other players. They have fewer turns to find an answer or a lock. Um, conversely, if somebody's winning with a combo like Wonder One Profits or Najila, don't concede uh, because then you are like then you could fizzle their combo. And they yeah. should have won, and because you conceded, they didn't. So. Yeah, the, the whole conceding in response to a gift probe thing is considered bad form. Yeah. Yeah. If your conceding changes who wins, you're conceding wrong. Yeah, I think yeah. wanting to win is a reason to not compromise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah okay. Uh, next question. Uh, Spleen? Uh, is stack still good in CDH? It seems underrepresented as a point. Uh, I, think, I think stacks, as we've known it for the past few years, have sort of been phased out a bit. I think a lot more of the stack stacks you, that you see now are softer in stacks. Uh, you want to be able to win the game still. <laughs> and I think this has sort of been a slow development for a lot of the stacks players out there uh, for the last little bit. But it's, yeah, it's stack stacks in general have sort of changed form from being the old lockdown stack stacks of yore with, you know, Tangle Wire, Winter Orb, all that good yeah. stuff, and just like trying to win through making other people concede to decks that play a lot of stacks but also that, have a really good proactive yeah game plan. that have a really good proactive game plan but then they're playing stacks as a tempo play and more yeah. they're playing a lot of targeted stacks and they know what meta they're going into they're playing stuff like uh curse totem and rest in peace and stuff like that instead of um just basically things that try to both stop setup and win cons at the same time and then using that tempo of the game from that to propel towards winning. Yeah. The best stack stacks I think right now are are Yisan and Zer and like Blood Pot's fine as well. Yep. Um, those aren't particularly strong stack stacks, that's for sure. Yeah, they're 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 definitely the the more adaptable sort of they're they're not hard stacks. No. <laughs> uh, I think I think the last great stack stack we saw was Leopold and that wasn't particularly stacksy and I I yeah. Yeah. It was an unfortunate on Danny. <laughs> or sorry, banning. Um, anyone else? Anything so else? That question was from real life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, also, I definitely broke the uh, order here, so it's my turn next. Uh, so uh, next question from uh, N Slubber. I'd love to hear what makes a win con viable in CDH, as well as which win cons you think are generally the strongest and which might be traps. Are there any win cons or combos that you think deserve to be explored more? Are what are the best ways to build decks with win cons in mind? Do certain win cons limit the deck building process? Uh, an example would be limiting your average CMC for ad nauseum. Okay, so we're gonna have to answer this in parts. Yeah. Bam, 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 bam. Okay. So let's start. Let's go with the first part. Uh, I'd love to hear what makes a win con, what makes a win con viable in CDH, as well as which win cons you think are generally the strongest and which might be traps. 
what makes Wincon viable is uh, mana efficiency and card efficiency. Bingo. Yeah. And also, sort of stacks resiliency, but that's a secondary thought. Well, yeah. is you have your both kinds of card efficiency. As yes. Well. Cards yeah. you need to find and also cards you need to run. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so unless, unless you're, you're something like, uh, Flash, Flash Hulk, you know, where it's actually a two card combo, but you do have to make the concession of, of, uh, slot intensity for yeah. a lot of the decks. Uh, but just because they're so fast and the strength of that combo, uh, it, you, that concession is something you want to make. Um, and then something like Gitrog, where your combo is Dakmar Salvage plus one of, like, Ten cards in your deck, or just having eight cards in hand. Yeah, exactly. There's so many <laughs> like, different yeah. ways to, to to combo. It's almost basically a one card combo with the commander. Um, so yeah, and, and very low uh, to the ground and resiliency is, uh, is is an advantage. So what are what are some traps? Um, I think inf- there's lots of trap infinite mana uh, combos. Yeah, yes. I think those are the yeah. biggest traps. Uh, you see like Pilipala, Grand Architect. Um, lots of colorless uh, infinite combos with uh, power artifact or uh, rings of bright hearth basalt. Um, unless you're in a deck that really needs it as a, as a sort of redundant min con, yeah. like Teferi. Definitely. Um, ring one, well, rings also provides some additional utility. Yeah, even yeah. if it's small, it does. Um, and then other infinite mana things usually involving. Uh, Dead Eye Navigator or Palancron are yeah. just too mana inefficient. They, well, they've just been replaced with the new. They get hit yeah. out by anything. It's graveyard. Yeah. It's crystal. And yeah. also, I think one more trap that a lot of people fall into is uh, unnecessary win cons, um, where a lot of people will try to put in, put in, put in, sorry, put in, put in uh, extra cards that don't actually uh, like do anything additional to win the game. Stuff yeah. like. Putting in uh, Lad Man into a deck that's already drawing your deck with a million mana. Yeah. Uh, putting in Aether Flux Reservoir into a deck that doesn't really need it because you're yep. mostly infinite mana decks anyway. Stuff like that. Or like loopable spells and Gitrog. Sometimes, sometimes people will put in multiple finishers. Sometimes yep. people will see like Praetor's Grasp, Collective Brutality, uh, Ebony Charms, things like that. Is you just unnecessary. Oh, Walking Blister is a huge one. Uh, oh. People people will put Walking Blister into anything with infinite mana just because it wins the game easier. When a lot of the time you can save the slot extremely easily just by doing stuff, Twister Loops. Uh, yeah. Anything like double scepter stuff, just anything. These, these cards become super obvious Stop when you actually start playing. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so many rest. Very uh, <laughs> Okay, uh, next yeah. part. Uh, are there any win cons or combos that you think deserve to be explored more? Honestly, all the time. I think most archetypes are represented in CH. Right there, now. there. Well, there. A lot of stuff's represented, but there's always more stuff to be explored. Yeah. Um, uh, what's the new one in, in Hulk that, that people are running as a redundant con? Uh, uh, yeah, for, just, free from the real. Yeah, Bloom, to Bloom Tender, free from the real. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it was it was considered just like just terrible for the longest time, and a lot of and now it's seeing play just because Bloom Tender is this insanely good mana engine that's very accessible because it's a creature, and then once you're already playing that. To take advantage of it, you just get free from the drill as a free roll to dodge uh, a lot of the stacks that it runs into anyway. Yeah. It also it also has sort of a uh, a hidden advantage that maybe we didn't discuss when we were talking about what makes a win con viable, uh, which is if you can set it up in a way that's sort of ubiquitous, like people just put Bloom Tender in decks because it makes mana. Yeah. Yeah. And if somebody played a Bloom Tender, I wouldn't be thinking, oh god, they, you know, they're setting up for free from the real. And then it's like, oh, free from the real home, I guess. Um, so, you know, certain decks, you can play a win condition where you put out a piece and people are like, eh, whatever, it's, you know, they're just running that because it's good or they're playing it now because it's good, not because they're trying to win and then, you know, and pull then, out the other piece the next turn. 
Uh, one thing I'll, I'll add quickly is is uh, that might not be like an infinite combo kind of win con, but it's still win con nonetheless. Is uh, beats um, or, or or value engines through uh, things like uh, in Tasker. I've got a Tasker list uh, that I, that I made with uh, it's like still the same Scepter Core package, but you know it runs Tendershoot as just a, a solid backup win con because sometimes you just can close out the game through through controlling it out that way. Or in Zer, I'm working on a Zer build. Uh, that tries to transition if you get if pit, if uh, shimmering is no longer an option, rather than go with the traditional doomsday lines. Um, I'm looking at getting advantage through Zer, like with and, and setting up a uh, more control Zer style, uh, like Luminarch Ascension or something like that. Still very experimental. I wouldn't suggest any of that yet. Just all in testing. But, but they're definitely there. Yeah, yeah. definitely deserve to be explored. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what uh, what are the best ways to build decks with your win cons in mind? So I think right off the bat, um, a lot of the top tier decks just are combos with their commanders. So yeah, yeah. you've got a commander, it's got a combo, build a deck. Um, otherwise, uh, you want to pick a commander um, generally that provides a lot of value for your main game plan. So yeah. control, combo. I eat him. Kind of just as an umbrella for yeah. that kind of that idea. Um, yeah, you just want to you just want to be super conducive to your win conditions. You don't want them to stick out like a sore thumb in your deck list. You want to have them actually synergize with your deck as much as possible. Um, okay, next. Do certain win cons limit the deck building process? And I can say yes, for sure, because uh, when I was building my Anafenza deck, uh, you know, the, the win con is Razaketh. So obviously Anafenza is asymmetrical, so it doesn't affect me. So I'm able to still do my uh, my reanimator stuff. Um, I'm able to run uh, stacks pieces like uh, Eidolon of Rhetoric to stop Rule of Laws, although that would typically stop a Razaketh deck because I can sack the Eidolon of Rhetoric. Now, this means I can't actually run things like Rule of Law itself um, because I run into massive problems. I've already cast my my Reanimate in Razaketh. I have no way to sack that unless, of course, I was able to run... Uh, uh, the, what's the Suspend card? A Greater Gargadon. That's oh, it. I, I, if Greater Gargadon, if I can run Greater Gargadon, I'd run so many more stacks pieces. It would be amazing. But yeah, that aside... Um, it definitely does. It definitely does. You, you need to consider uh, how it interacts with you, how your win cons interact with your deck um, for yeah. for specific card choices. Yeah, big thing with those is uh, the tainted tutors, the forbidden tutors. The yeah. laws on they super restrict your deck building. Because you need uh, well, you need the big thing is you need win cons that are redundant that yeah. you you don't care, really care if one piece gets exiled or whatever. You can still combo through with that. So yeah, you definitely <laughs> double tight. Get rock. Create a target doesn't work. You can't suspend unless you can cast. Oh really? Oh, yeah, it's a weird, it's a weirdly ruled ability. Spice Interesting. Um, <laughs> okay. Another example of this is something that was so limiting that I think it it made the deck, you know, just completely unplayable. When I was brewing with Estrid, uh, I kept wanting to put in various pieces. That's like, oh, I'll put in humility, and it's like, oh, sometimes I'll be comboing, and then I'll hit humility, and my mana dorks will only reduce mana. Okay, can't do that. Stony Silence. Oh. I'll be comboing, and then my chain uh, I'll put in, you know, like I went through, it was like, rest in peace, rule of law, like all of these yeah. cards you just can't run in the deck without stopping your combo, so you know, maybe that's a combo that you know, has too many requirements um, for, you to, for you to run because it just restricted your deck building so much. Humility yeah. is one that, that is, is probably the, the, the poster <laughs> child for this sort of question, where yeah. that's a card that's so powerful that so many <laughs> decks would run it if they could, but it okay. interferes with their game. It is, yeah. It is the holy grail of stacks pieces. Yeah. Where <laughs> if you can, if you can successfully build a deck that can use humility and still win the game, 
it is just like, oh, oh my god, the so. things you can do. <laughs> but yeah. Okay, so the final part of this question is: Do certain win cons limit the deck building process? Yeah, we just went over that. Yeah, and yeah. an example would be limiting your CMC for that. So, yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. Uh, so I think we already covered this one uh, from your role. In uh, which cases are packs deemed a spite pack? For example, if you pack a winning card, but don't have the immediate mana to pay for it. But it could be real way into rituals by another player. Also, to note cases where your hand isn't revealed, so you could have a ritual guide to pay for it. So we already sort of talked about this uh, earlier about being, you know, competitive. Don't spite pack. Don't do any of that stuff. I do. I do have pay. some some things I want to say about but, this. Yeah. Is that there are times when you could use a pact um, with the expectation or, or with knowing that you can't pay for them next turn. If somehow you have a line to potentially uh, get to answer that. Yeah. So, you know, if if you could perhaps make a deal with someone else who is going to lose and you're like, listen, like this can stop us from losing. Um, if you so deals like this typically are something that are more casual. Oh, yeah. But I think are definitely something that, that can be explored and competitive as well. Like, you know, listen, stifle my trigger. And I will pack this. Or destroy the winter orb and I'll pack this. Yeah, yeah. Or, or do stuff like, even uh, sometimes you can have stuff like, a, you have like a couple like Dark Covenant style triggers or like you have a, yeah. you have like a Mystical Morad or something like that yeah. where you could potentially draw into a ritual during the turn cycle to then pay for the pack later on. But yeah. I, I would say try and keep it somewhat realistic. Yeah. Like yeah. if you're saying... If you have to draw oh, the well, perfect like, seven. Yeah, like, like yeah. oh, well, if this Mystic Remora in one player's turn draws me into Dark Ritual and a Spirit Guide, mm -hmm. I can pay for my pack. It's like, yeah. okay, let's... Yeah. Yeah. Maintain realism. Uh, <laughs> and I think the, the other part of this uh, is <laughs> acting with the expectation that your pack is going to get countered. Uh, yes. this, is, this, is yeah. like, this is like a fourth level... <laughs> like abstraction play. Uh, I've seen it happen a couple times though. Um, but it's 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 sort of a weird setup. But it's where um, you know that the person trying to call off has two counter spells. You know the rest of the table only has you only even that one one counter spell or only one yeah. counter spell. Um, so like the person calling has a counter spell. You know the rest of the table only has access to one interaction piece. So what you do is when they try to combo, even if you can't pay the fact, you pack their whatever they're trying to do, they counter back and then you open up the person at the table to then counter their combo yeah. attempt. Yeah. I don't know what a what a reasonable person standard exactly is, but if you're saying, okay, it's reasonable that I live, then fine. Yeah. If you're saying it's not really reasonable that I survive this, just don't guess. Yeah. And also think People sometimes will call your bluff on that, expecting your pack to get counted. Oh, yeah. It's not fun. Yeah. yeah it happened to me. I'll uh, pack yeah. that. I have another uh, Like 99% <laughs> of the time that expecting uh, your pack to be countered is usually like only applicable when you have the other. You are the, the person with the other counter spell. Yeah. When not, the rest of the table does not have counter magic, the person covering has a counter spell and you have two counter spells, you go... Okay, packed. Let them let them counter back, and then you counter them. Or if you were in, if you were really early in priority, also if you were had you first do it early, priority, yeah. but like but most of the time it's when you have yeah. both pieces of interaction and you need to yeah do that. Okay, last question: uh, Could CEH ever be tournament viable among pro players? Like, would we ever see it at the pro tour? And God, or what not. steps would it take to create a bunch of tournaments for EDH? That is known as the highest level of play format, and that's from Freedom Format. Yeah, 
Yeah, we'll see uh, CDH at the Pro Tour when they have a banner that says Unbanned Reserve List. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or Unreserved yeah. List. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just C- CDH list although, reserve list matches. <laughs> although we call CDH competitive EDH, uh, I think one of the big problems with getting it um, in a large-scale competitive format is... Uh, just sort of the problem with randomness. It's it's also a lot more political than, than people give yeah. it credit for. Oh yeah, you know, like there's you, you you can get missile you can get misaligned incentives where you know it's it's not just about you could be playing the tightest as possible, and then everyone could be you know fighting against yeah. you, and and that's something that you probably don't want to see. Yet. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, people watch people watch competitive poker, and that's certainly not a one v one. Yeah, fair. So um, I I think a lot of the time with competitive poker though is that uh, it's a lot harder for you to actively make somebody else lose. That right. is true. By making mistakes. Yeah. Whereas a lot of the time in CDH, if you, you could be playing the tightest possible game, you could be playing with the best possible deck you could play, and there could be two other people at the table that have no idea what's going on and just bumble into something that screws you over by accident. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's a pretty much the biggest turnoff is just the random element of if you're a pro player and you're playing CDH in like round two with people that aren't <laughs> necessarily yeah. proven to have gone xo so far um you can just get screwed out of a game pretty easily by somebody just yeah also five thousand dollar decks yeah that too decks, yeah um i would like to see pro player I, w- I would like to see some i know some pro players play edh um yeah. in their in their off time i would like to see some pro players you know get into the cdh just in the community that'd be cool oh yeah definitely i like yeah aside from seeing it in a competitive like league yeah. or whatever yeah, seeing competitive players play the format would be awesome. Yeah. Also, I think just tournaments in general, more, more, more tournaments with just commander. I mean, it doesn't have to be like super high stakes, a uh, professional, but you know, maybe something on the line so that people are actually trying to win. Yeah. Um, I think we're seeing. I know. I think the GP Vegas this year, uh, Channel Fireball organized like a big commander tournament, but obviously, you know, you're going to see people with CDH decks show up. But it's not going to be the majority. Yeah. Um, I think it would be cool if, if we could organize, um, you know, some some sort of like meetups or, or something at GPs to to sort of get foster that that uh, paper uh, competitive uh, committee. Community. It, it used to be at uh, GP in Toronto. They back when it was run by face to face games. They did usually it was a three round tournament um, at each GP, which was nice because after the first round, most of the uh, you know, clearly not competitive decks have been weeded out. Um, also, I was on the track, so I made it through. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, but like rounds, <laughs> rounds, rounds two and three, you're definitely getting into like more. You know, you have an expectation that people are playing good decks, but yeah, the, certainly the more rounds in an event, the the better you can weed out. Uh, but also, that, then you run into another issue, which is that pods are of a wildly inconsistent length. Yeah. Yeah. In that tournament I was mentioning, there was a pod in round one that took in excess of three hours to finish. <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah, one of the big things is that it just takes like at least twice as long to play a commander game, just by default, than it does to play a 1v1 game, just because there are twice as many players in the pod that have to take their turns. And unedited, it is not spectator-friendly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You need like a couple judges per pod. Yeah. Oh yeah. So 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 we're playing we're playing double shuffler shuffle Hulk. Yeah. Get rod. Yeah. And then <laughs> all the and offensive yeah. too. Just oh, yeah. Yeah. just uh, just let's yeah, make it complicated now. Uh, get a couple um, of people to just playing edit AP and AP decks. <laughs> Someone figured out the humility deck. Oh, oh yeah. So, <laughs> 
with with the layering with humility oh, and yeah, yeah. blessings. Yeah, nice. <laughs> nice. Okay. Um, yeah. So I think that that wraps it up. We answered all of your questions. So definitely, please send in more. Um, yeah. <laughs> so we can do this again next year. Yeah. Let's get more topics of listener questions. Um, okay. Yeah. So uh, you can reach us on the Discord into the North Discord uh, that will be linked in the show notes for this podcast. Um, you can email us, contact us through email at into the north at gmail.com or into the north podcast at gmail.com. Yes. Uh, yeah. So give us feedback. We'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, check out the CDH subreddit, uh, and the CDH discord, the PlayDH discord, uh, and all of the, uh, the deck discords. Um, we are going to have our next episode in a, well, our next official main episode in a month. And then we're going to have a uh, special get wrong episode. Uh, a little extra something special for you guys uh, in between. Um, yeah, as always, thanks to our audio engineer, Calvin. Um, thanks to uh, NS Lover for our podcast logo, and thanks to Hist for the podcast music. Um, see you guys next time. Good stuff. Yeah. See ya. See ya. See ya.